Like it when Michael said uh, that w- w- welcomed you as uh, guests or visitors this morning, that it was not our desire to single you out. Many of you have been in churches where visitors were, that happened, that they were singled out. You know what I mean? The pastor perhaps asked visitors to, to stand and, and maybe even introduce themselves. I was in a big, huge church where they, they did that. Ushers maybe come forward, give you a welcome packet complete with a little stick-on rose that you can put on your shirt so loud. Everyone can know who you are. We were thinking about using these neon necklaces that you get at concerts. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> you can calm down. Uh, I selected this particular picture, though, because of the website. Wouldn't that be a good name for welcoming visitors? Glow with us. <laughs> okay, maybe not. I heard about a church once where uh, when it came time to recognize visitors, they had all the members and regular attenders stand, and they asked the visitors to remain seated. Then the members would turn to the seated visitors and sing a welcome song. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen here either. <laughs> now... In fairness, those churches are just trying to welcome people. There's a sense in which they, they understand that it's not just about them. All are welcome to join our group, to be part of us, and that's, that's actually a good thing. You see, I'm sure that many of us have also been in churches where only certain Visitors' guests were singled out as special. I'm not talking about introducing perhaps special guest speakers or perhaps those who have traveled um, from a long way. I'm talking about singling out special people because of their positions or abilities or maybe their status in the community. Perhaps the pastor looks out and, and sees an important person and wanting to honor that person, ask him or her to stand and introduces uh, him, everyone applauds and, and thinks, wow, isn't it something that so-and-so actually visited our church, an athlete, a, a politician, some well-known celebrity? Well, why are they so important? Well, because they're great, as we count greatness. I've mentioned before how excited the Christian community gets when even the whiff of a rumor makes the, the rounds of some well-known Celebrity becoming a Christian. Madonna comes to mind. It travels on social media like wildfire, whether it's true or not. We, we tend to think, wow, what an impact the gospel could have if, if that person actually became a Christian, as if the gospel needs important people to succeed. You, you see, important people somehow make the gospel more acceptable. Uh, doesn't it? Somehow kind of validates us. We're not as unimportant as we thought. Maybe very clear, the gospel actually needed only one important person to succeed, and his name was Jesus. Obviously, we don't, we don't do those kinds of things around here. Now, we do want visitors to feel welcome, be our guest, to be treated with special kindness. We want you to know how important you are um, to us, and, and more than that, we want you to know how important you are to the God that we serve. But one thing I, I believe that Jesus has been teaching us in this little section in, in Mark is, is that everyone is to be treated as important. In, in fact, people that we would by nature honor as uh, are not necessarily on his list of of greatness and people we may not even give a second glance 
might just be the ones that he esteems. You see, we found that greatness is not necessarily determined by what we do, but by who we are, meaning, and then not by the... It's not by the positions that we hold or the power we wield, the status that we enjoy, the size of our bank account, the cars that we drive, the number of people who know us and serve us. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Probably not the ones most of us think. Last words out of Jesus' mouth last week were these. Whoever receives one child-like this, this one that he had gathered up in his arms, whoever receives one child like this in my name, key phrase, receives me. We, we found that Jesus was not necessarily talking about children, although he it necessarily includes them. In fact, Hallie, our children's ministry director, texted me right after the sermon last week, because that was the best sermon I ever preached. No, 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 Hallie, the, 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 the child was an object lesson representing every less than important person. That was the message last week. You see, somewhere along the way, the disciples had forgotten the very basic truth of Christianity, that Jesus came to save undeserving sinners, <laughs> not those who think they deserve it, but those who don't. His very first recorded full-length sermon, if you will, is called the Sermon on the Mount, wanting to make sure that the disciples and the crowds understood the kingdom that he came to bring. He introduced his sermon with the Beatitudes. You remember those? Blessed are the rich and famous, the well-known, the celebrities, the gifted, the religious, the, those who have it all together, the performers, the high-profile members of society, the ones who get introduced in church. No. That's not exactly what he said. First words out of his mouth... Blessed are the poor in spirit, the destitute, the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the, we could translate it, broken, because theirs, in the emphatic in the Greek, theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, are those who would never be noticed, let alone be introduced in most churches. Now, I'm not saying that well-known People can't be Christian. That's not my point. My point is well-known people who are Christians are no more important than, well, you. Blessed are those disciples, even those we may ignore, overlook, shun. Jesus had communicated that very truth by both his teaching and his uh, and, and his works, those he chose, the, the broken people of society, the outcasts, the sick, the demon-possessed, the lepers, the prostitutes, the sinners. Oh, the religious and political leaders of society, those who were, were on everyone's Hanukkah list. They didn't have a Christmas list. And everybody on the Hanukkah list, well, they were the ones opposing Jesus. So now Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Time is very short. Jesus has begun clearly telling them, beginning up in Caesarea Philippi, I have got to go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, the veritable who's who's, you see, be killed, but, but be raised again the third day. The disciples were confused when they heard this news, but they quickly dismissed it. How do I know they dismissed it? Well, you see, on their way to Jerusalem from Philippi, they stopped at Capernaum, 
their base of operations one last time, and on the way there, Jesus told them again, I, 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 I will be handed over and I will be killed. And so, well, quite understandably, an argument broke out between the disciples as to which one of them was the greatest. Are you kidding me? Jesus was giving up his life, and they were busy promoting their own. You may remember Jesus asked them, what were you discussing on the way? And after a moment of embarrassed silence, knowing that they were, had been talking about who was greatest, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and the servant of all. This, you see, is a critical characteristic of the kingdom. The last will be first, the first last. Remember, he's been saying all kinds of shocking things like this. If you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If you want to be great, you must suffer. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to be great, you must serve. That's, that's the way of my kingdom. Shocking. <laughs> you, you are fighting about greatness and position and status and power and he gathered a little child, a toddler we saw in his arms before them, then very firmly, perhaps quietly, maybe even with an edge of disappointment, he said, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. His disciples would have been stunned. This time, children were the lowest on the food chain. They would no doubt not even had noticed the kid, had Jesus not gathered him up. This child, great in the kingdom, and we saw that in Matthew, he, he told them this child is great because he's humble. He's too young to be concerned about prestige and power and status and privilege and, and greatness, all the things that you're arguing about, all the things that you are putting forward to display your own greatness. This little one, he's humble. Not only is he humble, he's dependent, not self-dependent, not independent, totally dependent. His existence is dependent on others for survival, which, which brings humility. This, Jesus says, is greatness. When you come to the end of yourselves, when you stop worrying about your own greatness and your own performance, when you start depending totally on Jesus as your only source of life, that is greatness in the kingdom. All of that brings us to our text today. I go through all of that because it's actually a continuation, uh, the text today from, from last week. It's critically important that we keep the context before us. Jesus is getting ready to return to his Father to leave the, <laughs> he's getting ready to leave the kingdom in the hands of these disciples, and they still don't get it. I mean, they had been with him for up to three years now. They had watched him care for the least in society, and now they're arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Not only that, we find today they think it's only about them. So Jesus begins teaching them about true discipleship. He is, he's concerned that with their eyes only on themselves, they may develop a spirit of ungodly competition, looking down on other Christians who serve. Now, I know uh, that's shocking to think that Christians could actually be jealous of one another in a spirit of competition, but Jesus addresses it anyway. Let's just go with it. Because sometimes in our petty, competitive jealousies, we may want to prevent others from serving. They may 
look better than us, or worse, we may even cause others to stumble. Look at the text with me. It's found in Mark 9, verses 38 to the end of the chapter. I'm just reading that for the context, but we're only going to look at the next few verses so you can relax. John, John, the apostle, said to him, Jesus just talked about receiving one in my name. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, don't hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is, is for us. For whoever you give a cup of water to drink uh, because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. And if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands and to go into hell into the unquenchable fire. Verse 44, not really in the text. Verse 45, if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter a life lame than having your two feet and be cast into hell. 46, not in the text. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than having two eyes and be cast into hell. Now it is in the text where the worm does not die and the fire is not for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, what will, uh, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That is a challenging text. The context actually stretches from last week through this week into next week, which is why I, I kind of read it all. Mark seems to, most agree, take little sections, snippets of Jesus' teaching, puts them together in kind of a loose, meandering train of thought based on similar words or, or phrases. It kind of goes like this. Who's the greatest? Well, I, th those who serve little children in my name, which seems to remind, remind John, oh, speaking of your name, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, so we told him to stop. And Jesus says, don't do that. Even if you give a cup of water in my name, you won't lose your reward. But conversely, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, big trouble. And while we're talking about stumbling, if there's anything in your life that causes you to stumble, cut it out. Better to go to heaven maimed uh, than to hell in one piece. And while we're talking about hell, everyone is going to be salted with fire, and while we're talking about salt, be salty. <laughs> that is all a bit confusing to me. But the underlying theme seems to be true, costly discipleship. This, you see, is what life as my followers looks like. D don't worry about greatness. True greatness for followers of Jesus is found in being last. It's found in serving, serving even the least in the kingdom. It doesn't, doesn't matter whether you are upfront kind of people, one of the 12, or, 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 or just someone who goes by my name. Whatever they do in my name, big things like casting out demons or small things like giving a cup of water, it will be recognized and rewarded. On, on the flip side, on Make sure that you don't cause followers to stumble, especially those little ones who I especially love. So, with all that as context, let's just look at that very first story, verses 38 to 41. So we most appropriately prepare for communion, where we're going to see that service in Jesus' name is what matters, not, not your name. Not, not for you to be 
recognize, not to make it think that you've got some status or rank or position. Big things, upfront things, small things, behind the scenes things, done in my name, it's all good. I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how you serve. I don't know what things you do for my Christ, for our Christ, but whatever you do, he knows. As Jesus mentioned, receiving little ones in his name, it seems to spark something in John's memory. We don't know if this is something that just happened or it was sometime earlier, but John says, um, uh, teacher, and you should see the hesitation here, uh, we saw someone casting out demons in your, in your name, but hey, he wasn't following us, so we told him to stop. Mark talks a lot about following in his gospel, but it's always following Jesus. John, well, he's concerned about someone not following us. No doubt at some point this guy, nameless guy, had witnessed either Jesus or the disciples casting out demons. Please notice that John's concern was not that the guy was casting out demons. And please remember, context, the disciples had recently been unable to do that very thing, even though they had been given the authority to do that. That may be added to the angst here. We're the ones that you told to cast out demons. We are the special group. Then they came through this significant failure, and this guy seems to be succeeding. That's a little problematic. His concern was not that the guy was casting out demons, nor that he was necessarily casting them out in Jesus' name. His concern was that he, he was not following us. Notice the little word, us. Not, not following you, Jesus. He apparently was. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. John was concerned he's not following us. He's not one of our merry little band of important disciples. He's not one of, you see, the 12. He's not one of the big guns. Who does he think he is? Don't miss John's concerns still seem to be his own inflated singular self-importance. Remember the context. That's why Mark put it here. Who's the greatest? Well, it's got to be one of us. Not this guy. We don't even know his name. We told him to stop. And so Jesus begins teaching another very critical lesson that's very important for us to get. Last week, whoever receives a little one in my name receives me. Greatness in the kingdom is not found in the world's standard of greatness, prestige, power, status, rank, position, authority. The least are actually the greatest. This week, in terms of serving, only one thing matters. Do they carry the name of Christ? He was doing it in my name. Are, are they Christ followers? Not, are they part of our little band, our little group? If they name the name of Christ, then what they are doing in my name is good, Jesus goes on to say. They can't perform a miracle, some work, and then in, in my name, and then speak evil of me. Leave them alone. Whoever is not against us is for us, even if they aren't part of our particular band or brand. Somewhere along the way, in our spirit of competition, in our attitudes of personal greatness, we've lost that truth. One 
commentator pointed out, this is an apostolic example of ministry, intolerance, and jealousy, arrogant exclusivism, and narrowness in the body of Christ. Can you imagine? Same thing happened in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 11. A couple of guys named Eldad and Medad, you might want to write those down for your next child, were prophesying prophesying in the camp of Israel. Who the heck were they? Never heard of them exactly. Who do they think they are? A young man runs up to Moses and told them these two no-names are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, Moses' lieutenant, becomes incensed and demands that Moses tell him to stop. They can't be prophesying. That's for only certain people. Important people, not them. Moses says to young Joshua, are you are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. He did that, you know, in the new covenant. Moses, the leader of the children of Israel, had it right heart in the right place. This is not a competition between us. This is not about us. This is about the Spirit of God resting on people so that they can do His work. It is no wonder that Moses was called the most humble man on the earth, even if he wrote that himself. Well, same thing happened in the New Testament in John chapter 3. John the Baptist had been quite popular His name had become a household name. Droves of people, actually all kinds of people, went out to him to the Jordan to be baptized. He was without doubt one of the, if not the, spiritual leader in Israel. One day, as John's, the best, as his star began to set, disciples can't have that, came to him and said, Rabbi, He who was with you beyond the Jordan, you know, to whom you testified, you know who that is. Uh, Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Catch that, John. You're the star. Everyone was flocking to you. But now this this one about whom you testified, that's Jesus, by the way, is baptizing more than you. What are you going to do about, about it? After all, this is about us, isn't it? We can't be confused by the Christ. competition, right? John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, he rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist understood what John the Apostle missed. This is not, this never has been about us. This is about Jesus. And everything that we do is to make him increase, to make his already great name known. Our stars must fade. His must increase. John, both Johns, this is not about you. The first John understood that. The second John missed it. 
All those who name the name of Christ matter, small and great, it, uh, it, uh, in our group or not, they matter. So, as we then turn our thoughts or get ready to turn our thoughts toward communion, something, by the way, that we do together as followers of Jesus, what does this look like? for the church of Jesus Christ today. I think that most of us would agree there is an unhealthy, ungodly competition in the church. It may be as insidious as being jealous of the ministry success of others or as blatant as actively opposing and criticizing the success of others. Brothers and sisters in the church... Just as authentic believers welcome those who were of low social status, that's last week, so also they don't jealously guard their own personal authority and position and status and agendas because they recognize the advancement of the church of Jesus Christ is more important, infinitely so, than personal ambition. The criteria for fellowship and ministry is not style, it's not tradition, it's not denominationalism, but the name of Jesus Christ being exalted. As one said, we are all branch offices of the same business. Now, that is not to say that there is not a place for discernment and exposing doctrinal error. But when believers are following the same Jesus, teaching and believing the same things in the essential doctrines, not everything, crossing every I and, or dotting every I and crossing every T just like you do, in the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, there must be mutual love, support, and respect. This is not, this never has been about us. This is about the Christ that we serve, whose name we bear. Those who are not against us, whether they are part of our little group called Alliance or not, if they're not against us, they're for us. Jesus is here opposing that which we should oppose, anything that reeks of partisanship, of cliques, of us for no more mentalities, of we are the only ones doing it right, of ungodly competition. We must not develop personal agendas and thereby neglect God's kingdom purposes. Jesus finishes with this great truth. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, stop right there, he actually said those words, because you name the name of Jesus, because you are Christ's followers, because you are Christians, that name is not a positive name in the New Testament, only used three times, it's a negative term, because you are Christians, this is one of the only places Jesus refers to himself as the Christ. You see, this messianic secret is coming to a close. And we will together be called Christians bearing his name. And there ought to be special consideration and care and love and support for each other. That is, for those of us who go by that name. So whoever even gives us a cup of water, the minimum of Middle Eastern hospitality. Whoever gives a cup of water to someone who bears my name, he will not lose his reward. This is the only place in Mark's gospel that he talks about reward, but reward is promised for those who treat other believers with loving, accepting 
care. The point is this. We as followers of Jesus must care for one another. We must support one another, even the least of these, giving cups of water in his name to those who name his name, the spirit of ungodly jealousy in the church of Jesus Christ. I'm talking big C church, the church of Jesus Christ. The spirit of ungodly jealousy must go. No place for it. It is, by the way, why we observe communion together. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, written to a church divided over ungodly jealousies. Remember, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow uh, Apollos, but I follow Christ. Uh, Paul reminds us that we all partake of the same bread. We are members together. Listen to what he writes. It's not the cup of blessing which we bless, a sharing, that's the word fellowship, koinonia, the bond of life that unites us. Is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread we break, a sharing in the body of Christ? We have this bond of life that unites us, all those who name the name of Jesus. Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Even communion as we remember the body and blood of Jesus, is a communion together to remind us that we belong together. It's Sunday. There are church traditions uh, around the world, across our uh, town and, 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 and county and country and, and world that observe communion every, um, every Sunday. That means there are a lot of Christians observing communion this morning. Now, there are other traditions, lots of traditions, Christian Missionary Alliance, for example. Many Baptist uh, uh, traditions observe communion on the first Sunday of the month. That's today, I suppose, first Sunday. We can remember it that way. That means that today, of all Sundays, first Sunday of the month, around the world, there are literally millions, hundreds of millions of Christians observing communion together to remind us it's not about us, it's about him, and we belong together. Now, I know that there are some churches, uh, well, well let, me, let me tell you, that we, what we practice here, we practice um, open communion. By the way, I, go ahead and have the men who are going to be distributing the elements, go ahead and make, make their way to the front while I finish up here. We practice what's called open communion. That means it, whether or not you are part of this church, you're a guest here this morning, but you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to participate um, to participate with us. Now, now some churches um, practice what is called closed communion. That means if you're not part of their particular brand. Now, I suppose that there's a reason for that. If you've gone through their membership process, they know that you're a Christian. And, and so they, they practice what's called closed communion. I guess I shouldn't be critical on a day that I'm telling us not to be critical. But, 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 but that's not what we do here. We practice open communion. And so if you know Christ as your Savior this morning, in just a minute, that's what's going to happen. The guys are going to take the little trays of crackers that, 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 that were broken. I want you to see it. I want you to imagine it as one loaf, all broken, of which, to represent the body of Christ of which we are all a part, but not just in this room. First service, third service. No, 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 not just Alliance. I'm talking about Mount Vernon across town and, and Boone United Methodist and Cross Point and the heart, and I'm talking about brothers and sisters across our community observing communion today. 
we're breaking, we're partaking of one loaf if they, if they know Jesus. Now, by the way, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, okay, you are one of those guests. We want you to know how thankful we are that you are here. You have one of two choices today. Again, we practice open communion, and, and uh, if you know Jesus, you can participate, but if you don't call yourself a Christian, you have one of two choices. This is for Christians. You can, you can just pass it. You can do that. That's one choice. Option number two is to say, you know what? I believe this stuff. I, I believe that Jesus was the Christ. I believe that he was the Son of God. I believe that he came and died on the cross for my sins, and I think it's time that I become a Christian. Right now, you don't need me. There's only one important person you need, and that's Jesus. You can ask him right now where you sit to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins, and he will right now. And then you can participate with us. So, Father, my prayer um, is that you would accomplish your work in our lives, that you would remind us as we participate in one loaf, one cup that we belong together as followers of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.